Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you Star Trek fans out there. May you live long and prosper. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, you know. But if you are one, it's definitely the place for you. And we have a great show planned for today because we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Star Trek. Our special guest is Stephen Shohat, who promises to entertain us with some revealing anecdotes about the popular film franchise and TV series. Stephen is the author of Hollywood Stories, Short, Entertaining Anecdotes about the Stars and Legends of the Movies. As a Hollywood tour guide, he began doing research years ago in order to tell colorful tales about Tinseltown to his customers, and most of these tales are included in his fascinating book. Stephen, who's been a big hit on our show before, also hosts a syndicated one-minute radio show, show feature called Hollywood Stories. Welcome back to Movie Attic Headquarters, Stephen. Oh, thanks for having me, Betty Jo. Well, it's always a treat to have you as a guest, and we've got lots of questions for you. But as usual, we need the go-ahead from Nikki Starr, who's taking care of our chat room. And you'll be happy to know, Stephen, that Nikki is an avid Star Trek fan. So I know she's excited about today's topic. Nikki, are all systems going in our Star Trek Memories chat room? We're ready to beam up. <laughs> You're ready to beam up? <laughs> I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I think you've been ready ever since you heard that this was going to be our topic, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen a few Star Trek episodes? I've seen them all. I know you've seen them I've all. I've seen every movie. And I've seen every episode. I've seen every spinoff, although Generations is my favorite. And I'm very, very excited to hear behind the scenes. Oh, I am too, and thanks so much, Nikki, for doing such a, a good job uh, with the with the chat room and to people who are signing up for the chat as well as our other listeners. And I'd also thank the famous Morgan Lawrence, author of The Streets Ran Red, for taking time out of his busy schedule to be our guest co-host today. Mar- Morgan, are you a Star Trek fan too? Oh, I'm afraid I've been addicted since day one. <laughs> it's really well. I don't know how you manage to be a, a fan and spend time with Star Trek with all the things that you're doing. I uh, hear that you're going to be in an HBO um, series and that you're also going to be doing something for uh, ABC. Do you want to tell our listeners what's up with that? Well, I'm um, appearing on ABC on November 14th, 15th, and 16th on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And I'm currently in, uh, we've just begun shooting a miniseries. Uh, I'll be playing an Asperger's uh, character named Phil on a miniseries for HBO that will air in January sometime next year. And, of course, I'm still doing book signings and public speaking events all over the place. 
Well, you get uh, a zip code. I'll be there. <laughs> yes, well, you are definitely a busy, a busy guy, and uh, I'm just delighted that you were were free uh, today so that you could help us with uh, celebrate the 45th anniversary of Star Trek, and it really is hard not to be a fan. However, I, I'm definitely outclassed by you and Nikki and Stephen today. Perhaps if there had been a Star Trek musical, I wouldn't feel so out of my element. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's in the offing. Maybe that's something that we can look forward to. Hugh Jackman in a a Star Trek musical. (laughs) I always have to mention Hugh Jackman once during every program. Morgan. Yes. Seriously, now that everyone's present and accounted for, why don't you get the ball rolling by asking, Stephen, the, the first okay. question. Okay, of course, the most logical kickoff question is, of course, how did Star Trek come to be, Steve? Well, Gene Roddenberry had a TV show called The Lieutenant um, ba- back in the early 60s. It was a very good show about uh, 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 Gary Lockwood was the actor in it, and, and they had um, the, uh, it was about the Marines. And there were certain subjects that when they covered, Gene Roddenberry always wanted to get into racial issues and things like that, um, that the Pentagon did not approve of, and NBC didn't feel confident going forward with the show. And so after it was canceled, naturally he was disappointed, and he went to a baseball game, and he was talking to a writer friend, and he said, you know, I'd like to do a show set in the 19th century about, you know, like the old Wagon Train series with Lord Bond, about people with uh, from different races that, that travel together and come across these adventures and things like that. And the friend said sort of innocuously, different races, that wouldn't happen for a couple hundred years. And so that's what gave him the idea for Wagon Train to the Stars, uh, which oh. later became known as Star Trek. And, and uh, you know, there were all sorts of problems trying to get it on the air, like, like every show, of course. Uh, every show has problems. But, but one big problem was is that you had the situation where you, if you have them beam down to a different planet every week, it means different sets every week. And that, of course... Uh, could be very, very expensive, and that was off-putting initially to some of the networks. Wow, that's uh, yeah, I didn't know I, that. I, I kind of wondered about the cost of of location shots and like that. Uh, another topic that comes up a lot of times, and I've, I've seen an auction where they actually often these off. Um, what lengths was uh, Leonard Nimoy willing to go to um, trying to relieve the ear pain from the makeup of being Spock? Well, it was very painful, at least at first, with the prosthetics before he got got used to it. You, you, you think about it; he's such a good actor. I mean, I mean, before Star Trek is on the air, before Spock is famous, uh, um, here's Leonard Nimoy standing there in front of the Teamsters, uh, uh, um, you, you know, waiting to do his scenes, trying to concentrate, and they're teasing him. Like, hey, what are you supposed to be with those pointed ears, man? <laughs> like that. It just, I, I mean, it, it just. Uh, you, you know, you have to take it seriously. And and just a, a quick aside, originally Spock, who who was almost rejected by the network because he had the devilish look, was going to be painted red. 
And and luckily, oh. and Nimoy was willing to do it. And luckily for for him, there were still a lot of television sets that looked black and white, uh, or that were only black and white at that time in the early '60s, uh, or or ni- even by 1965-66. And so that that idea was nixed. But he would have done that. <laughs> but the ears were just killing him. And and so he went to one of the producers and said, "What can I do? What can I do?" And he said, "Look, don't worry. I know this plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, and he can do an operation on your ears." Uh, to make them pointed for the duration of the show. And then when the show's over, we'll have another operation so you can have them uh, back to normal. And Leonard Nimoy's buying this. He's like, let's go, let's go. And he's in the car. Uh, um, and, and then the producer's got this look on his face, and Leonard Nimoy says, oh, you blankety-blank. You really had me going, you blankety-blank. I mean, he was ready to do the operation. Uh, um and, and, you know, today there are operations that can get people's ears pointed, but as far as I know, they can't make you go back. So, I, I, I mean, he complained about being typecast about Spock. Well, that really would have typecasted him, uh, um, you know, if he would have gone through with that operation. I don't think it was available back then, though. Well, to some of the recent Comic-Cons, uh, I have seen several people who literally have had their ears done to be pointed like that. There are people who have had the surgery and had it done, which is very bizarre. I, I, I yeah. think that Hopefully was they're probably... they're not actors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, there were a lot of controversial moments in the TV show, but I think probably one of the most controversial in the early years was the first TV kiss between Kirk and Ahura. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, well, it, that was actually the third season, so they were coming to an end, and... and uh, um, the, the thing was, it was supposed to be Spock and Ohura. Uh, there, there were a lot of hints on the show <laughs> that Spock and Ohura were, were at least infatuated with each other. I, I, I mean, from time to time. I mean, Spock was willing to play music for her, uh, give up, you, you know, smile when, when, when she was singing. I, I mean, uh, uh, seemed to respect her quite a bit. And, and Nichelle Nichols talked about how Ohura was... was um, uh, you know, considered Spock to be her mentor. So there was something going on there. And of course, it was, you know, this last movie, it was, uh, it was, it went even further, you know, with, the, with that plot twist, the, the one that was remade in 2009. But, but anyway, it was written for Spock, but, it, you know, as often happened on the show, William Shatner threw his weight around and said, if anybody's going to kiss Nichelle, it's me. And, and you know, uh, by, by, by that time, um, and, and this is no secret. I, I don't. I don't think it's gossip. The four. Um, I don't know if you want to call them secondary. Let's say supporting cast members of the show had built up some resentment towards William Shatner. But but uh, Nichelle Nichols, maybe she felt a little bit differently about him because. You know, I, I mean, maybe because they were the opposite sex, and she always found him pretty attractive, even though she would get mad at him. And she liked the way that he joked around all the time and, and flirted and things like that. And so they they were doing the scene, and the network got cold feet and said, "Well, we we have to do two versions: one where where you know they kiss, and one that they don't kiss." Well, during the version that they didn't kiss, Shatner started overacting like crazy and making funny faces and saying inappropriate. <laughs> Appropriate things, uh, which really made Nichelle Nichols laugh. So the scene was absolutely unusable, and and so they had to go with the uh, controversial scene, um, even though it was 
it was, uh, uh, you know, some aliens forcing them to kiss. Um, you know, they weren't really, really doing it of their own free will. And, and Shatner had some funny things where he said, I will not kiss her. I will not kiss her. And uh, <laughs> the, the only letter that, that they got of complaint was, was a fan in the South, and he said, I'm normally against the mixing of the races, but if an all-American stud like, like uh, uh, Captain Kirk has a beautiful babe, you know, like Ohura in his arms, what's he supposed to do? <laughs> that is really a great story. I'm so glad that you've done research on this and, and can can tell us about these uh, these uh, behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, I've got lots happened. of Star Trek stories in my book. Uh, you do, and then they're they're uh, all so so much fun to to read about. But I was amazed uh, to find out that Lucille Ball. Was involved in the television series. Now I know she, Lucille Ball, was a very, very uh, powerful woman at one time in terms of uh, movies and TV. And I think she's the first woman to to own a, a television uh, studio or or movie studio. And so um, it's no surprise probably that she had some involvement in the TV series. But what? Uh, give us the the lowdown on that, Stephen. Right. Well, she was interested in it, and 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 uh, you know, uh, she at the time with the Lucy Show on CBS. CBS gave her some extra money for show development, and and she, I guess, could have pocketed the money, but but she really wanted to develop new shows. She was, um, uh, you know, kind kind of from the old school, which sort of protected herself, but at the same time gave other people a chance, um, and and so. Uh, now, according to people around her, she thought that the title of the show, Star Trek, was about people like Bob Hope who entertained for the USO and traveled <laughs> around the South And so, so after they got the the, sh- the show in, you know, underway, she said, "Well, how's that South Seas?" show going and then she was told what it really was and and to her credit she still wanted to do it um, even after she was told that it was uh, uh, going to lose $65,000 an episode that was the estimate she still had faith in it and if she hadn't signed off on it then then it wouldn't have happened now eventually she got fed up being the head of Desilu and, and sold the company to Gulf Western and mm-hmm. for whatever reason the Paramount Gulf Western they didn't really do the total research um uh, i guess the charles bloodhorn who really who was the head of the company he just liked lucy so much he wanted to buy buy uh desi lu and then when he found out how much money star trek was losing he got a little bit infuriated and said hey what did you sell us here and and and, uh well all all the figures were put there and he bought the company anyway but it turned out to be win-win for for everybody Although not at first, Star Trek not a successful show when it was on in prime time, at least not by by the ratings. Well, no, but uh, it it certainly came up in the ratings, I think, as it as it went on. And and we were talking before the show how uh, how many episodes uh, of that TV series were finally made and. You said that 80, did you say, or 79? 79. And the thing was, back then they didn't look as de- at demographics as hard as they do now because it's, it's like a few years back, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman had much better ratings than Melrose Place, but Melrose Place survived on the air and Dr. Quinn didn't because Dr. Quinn was perceived as, as not having the, the younger de- demographic that the, the network sponsors wanted. 
and and in Star Trek actually did have the younger demographic, but but they weren't looking at that as much at you know in the late sixties. They just looked at sheer ratings, and so mm-hmm. the marketing department was was mad with the N- when the NBC executives canceled the show, and then uh, of course what happened was Apollo eleven landed on the moon, um, and, and Star Trek was thrust into syndication, and that's when it started to become um, the enormous hit, and and you, you have this. This, um, I, I mean, this quandary, this paradox. Uh, like, like one, one of the stories I have in my book is about Charlie Chaplin and and how he was making a million dollars a year at a time when the average house in two thousand in L.A. cost two thousand dollars, and yet he was unrecognized walking down the street because the mustache was painted on. And and one time he entered a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest at the height of his fame, and he lost. <laughs> yeah, and, he lost. Reason, I read that. And the reason that, that I'm relating that to Star Trek is because you have people like Walter Koenig who played Chekhov, and he's yeah. got the exact opposite of Chaplin after Star Trek's off the air. He's walking down the street, and people are saying, hey, Chekhov, how you doing, man? And he could barely pay for his groceries. And and oh that's the, the the situation where where the actors found themselves in at least some of the actors that that the the fame was was exceeding the wealth by by quite a bit um at you, you know after that show went off the air and they, it was in syndication and their residuals of I, I think they had residuals for like two years and and then it ran out pretty quickly and then all the actors uh, uh, were in that very interesting situation and they reacted to it differently also. Seven of them, you know, had a different uh, had a different uh, situation once that show was off the air. Yes, they did. But, and, there but all we can say is we can thank we can thank Lucille Ball for taking an interest in and in going ahead with it when when it was uh, costing so much per uh, per episode or they were losing so right. much per episode. But but this is Movie Addict headquarters, so we do have to talk a little bit or maybe more than a little bit about the. Uh, Star Trek films, and I have a question about um, one of my favorite Star Trek films, and that's The Wrath of Khan, and it was directed by Nicholas Meyer, and um, of course it had the marvelous, oh, just terrific, I thought Oscar-worthy performance by uh, Ricardo Montalban, but uh, William Shatner gave an excellent performance in that, too. And I'm wondering, how did the director get that type of performance out of Shatner in that movie? Well, uh, you know, it was interesting between Ricardo and and Shatner as far as Nicholas Meyer went. I mean, Nicholas Meyer came in with no preconceived notions about Star Trek, never really watched any episodes, Um, saw the whole thing as sort of gunboat diplomacy, kind of different than... See, Gene Roddenberry was never able to do really what he wanted to do until The Next Generation, which was have sort of a more cerebral captain um i i mean i mean I, I, you know i'll get to the answer but you just think for a, a, a second here I, I mean very early on one of the writers of the of the show george clayton johnson pointed out that this is crazy to have the captain and the first officer beaming down into danger all the time i mean it's ridiculous mm-hmm. not to have uh you know one of the top two officers on the ship all the time why would we They'd be taking these risks all the time um, together. I mean, what if something happens? And, and of course, the, w- one of the reasons that they they took the risk 
that they were together all the time is because they were feuding a little bit, Nimoy and Shatner, and Roddenberry wanted them to become closer, and so he wrote them as as best friends, and and that's eventually what what sort of happened in their lives is that they became best friends as actors too. But but anyway, get, getting back to the point, Shatner um, um, at the time was not happy with the idea. Star Trek Two of Captain Kirk growing older, of Captain Kirk having a son. Um, it took a lot of convincing to get him to go along with that. And and according to Nicholas Meyer, he played he played it in a big leading man sort of way. And Nicholas Meyer felt that he wasn't really acting, and so he just kept doing take after take after take after take. And about the twelfth take, Shatner would get really bored and sort of throw the line away. And and oh. that was the take that ended up being used. And so rather, it's how Nicholas Meyer got got in a really understated performance out of Shatner. And I think Shatner appreciated it and gave pretty much understated performances in all the Star Trek movies. They're energetic, but 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 you know understated at the same time. And later on, uh, years later, Shatner reflected and said, of all all the directors that he ever worked with, Nicholas Meyer was the best one. Well, that was a good way to to handle the situation, I think. And you talked a little bit about the the uh, feud between Kirk and uh, Spock, and how did the yeah. other actors feel about uh, Shatner? Well, well, um, I mean, I you know, I think mixed emotions. I, I mean, obviously, they've said bad things, and and you know, I, I think three of them wrote books, and they said bad things, and and but I th- I think it's mixed emotions. I saw a video recently with. Nichelle Nichols and William Shatner hugging each other. So I think all, you know, I, I mean, I think now all the years have passed, and maybe, maybe they think, oh well, you know, water under the bridge and things like that. But, but um, William Shatner, of course, came on that show as a replacement for another actor named Jeffrey Hunter, who had been in a lot of westerns and considered himself a movie yeah. actor. Um, and and for whatever reason, he didn't go along with with Star Trek. Um, you know, he just didn't want to do the show. It turned out to be a, a break in a way for Leonard Nimoy because Leonard Nimoy initially was playing Mr. Spock with great emotion and what, for, for two reasons. Number one, he was a trained stage actor and he was used to giving emotion in the scenes. Um, and number two, he felt that if he didn't play the scenes with a lot of emotion, the scenes would die because, because um, uh, uh, Jeffrey Hunter was so low-key. Well, when Shatner came on, he was just a ball of energy. I mean, they see, see Captain Kirk was based on, on uh, partly on Hamlet. You, you know, he's, he's, yes. he's got this indecisive element, um, and, and then he's getting, you know, the logical point of view from the, from the first officer and the emotional point of view from the doctor. Um, and, and then he has to decide, and 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 so and and so they hired Shatner, who had Shakespearean training, um, and, and he just came in, just fired up, uh, um, and and that allowed Leonard Nimoy to to downplay Mr. Spock, um, and 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 give those unemotional performances, and 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 it, it really helped him find the character. I mean, you know, there were a lot of things that happened. See, there was a, also there was a character originally called Number One, who was played by Majel Barrett, and she was actually supposed to be the unemotional one. And the network couldn't stand Majel Barrett's acting, and so they they told Roddenberry you either get rid of the the 
you know, the female first officer or get rid of the Satan-like alien. And he picked, you know, he picked the the uh, the alien and married the the other one. So uh, he said, <laughs> yeah. Gene Roddenberry said, I don't think it would have worked the other way around. So so any, anyway, there there were a lot of things that allowed Leonard Nimoy to to. Uh, to find the character of Mr. Spock, but but Mr. Spock became the the star of the show. I mean, Shatner absolutely. Was I mean, he star. was definitely the the draw. Everybody right. loved those pointy ears. That's exactly. right. The fan mail started pouring in, and Shatner was jealous, and he admitted he was jealous. And 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 they had, you know, I don't think they were feuding all the time, you know, but they had some disagreements. Like like one time, Leonard Nimoy was being interviewed by Life Magazine, and they had a photographer in the dressing room, and and Shatner and Nimoy sh- shared the same makeup uh, time, and Shatner. You know, long rumored to have a toupee has uh, he, he's never admitted it, but you know it's a big rumor. Has but he definitely has cosmetic secrets, and he didn't want some photographer seeing them. So he announced he's going to get his makeup uh, uh, done in his his uh, 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 trailer. trailer. Well, well, he left, and then uh, uh, somebody from the front office came down and and told and told Leonard Nimoy that the photographer had to leave. Uh, and, and Nimoy knew who was responsible and went to, went to Shatner and confronted him, and Shatner was very defensive, and it was the first of several arguments between them. So, so there, definitely was, you know, there definitely was tension going on. And, and see, the thing was, if you look at a show like, like MASH, for example, one of the things they did on that show was they let the actors direct. Because they felt that that if they didn't let the actors direct, the actors were so confident in their in their characters that they would run roughshod over a new director every week. Well, Star Trek didn't do that, and the new directors were run roughshod every week by uh, by William Shatner, who who demanded you know more screen time for his character. Who, who would say certain lines should be said by the captain, not the other characters, who would demand that he be in the close-up and rather than have a two-shot that would include the other actors, um, and, and, and things like that. Now, from Shatner's point of view, uh, um, um, he was just overwhelmed by the amount of dialogue that he had to learn. I mean, he's reciting dialogue on, on, on you know, um, in in one sense, and then he has to learn for the next show, and it was just overwhelming for him. And he just was focused on his own thing, and he had problems in his life. His father was dying, his marriage was falling apart, and he claimed not to be fully aware of the of the problems of the of the um, resentment that was building for him from the the uh, supporting cast on that show. Hmm. I see. I see. Well, well, it all it all worked out uh, because they, they turned out some great uh, episodes and some some great films. And I, I think I've been monopolizing your time. So, uh, Morgan, I, I think you must have some other questions that you'd like to ask, Stephen. Well, from that last description, it sounded like the uh, the animals were running the zoo. Uh, I, I guess I guess what really comes to mind is. Um, with your experience and, and what you've written and everything, what is your favorite Star Trek episode? And tell me why. Well, I, I, you know, I guess it's the the, the same answer most people give the, the the one called the City on the Edge of Forever. Oh um, yeah, where, where oh. that was a great one. Yeah, which which Harlan Ellison was unhappy about, and it's such an ironic episode. Of, 
you know, because here you have, um, you know, people involved who were very anti-war, like Gene Roddenberry and Leonard Nimoy, and and yet they make this, they, and Harlan Ellison for that matter, and yet they make um, a show where a woman who's going to prevent World War II um, mm-hmm. is killed. Um, that World War II had to happen in over for yeah. mm-hmm. in over for the Federation to survive, and, and that was I, I think one of the things that frustrated Roddenberry was, you know, he wanted a future with no conflict, but no conflict might make for boring television, and so you ended up with, with you know Kirk being at least compared to John Wayne from time to time, and I think you, you really had a, a lot of things in that show, like like you know Spock being or just a really good friend to Kirk and and uh, saying what need to be said uh, um um and 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 just telling him what has to be done and and uh, just capturing all the elements and and you know you could see the love story was probably a little bit deeper i mean a lot of times kirk was was uh, you know trying to seduce the the females on the show to get something for the ship to to you know get out of trouble or things like that so he, he you know he was a user but it was kind of like like at least you could argue he's doing it for the greater good but this this time he really probably loved the woman truly i and, think and so. i think the money line for that episode was when joan collins got hit by the car and uh, uh bone said jim do you know what you're doing and and Spock delivered that perfect line, he knows, Doctor, he knows. Yeah. And that was just such a great moment in TV. Yeah, it was. And it was exciting, too, when McCoy reappears. I, I, I mean, uh, uh, um, you know, after being lost for the episode, it just it just really, I, I, I mean, it, you know, it just really captured everything. So I think that was the best one. But there were a lot of them. There was, uh, oh, you know, yeah. the, the Amok Time and, and the uh, uh, the Journey to Babel about Spock's parents. And, and, and um, the, the one where Kirk gives the great speech about risks being our business. I think that one's called Return to T- Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know that that they that risk is why they're aboard the Enterprise. So so, I, I mean there were a lot of good ones and a lot you know a lot of ones that are hard to watch. But but well, I, that, you that know, question leads me to ask you the flip side of the coin, which is what was your favorite Star Trek film and why? Boy, I really liked the one they made in two thousand and nine. I think it was really fun. So I'd go for that one or or the Wrath of Khan. Um, yeah, that's a tough call, film, isn't it? Yeah, the one in 2009 was was um it was so much fun to watch at the time. Maybe it doesn't hold up as well when you watch things and you kind of pick little things apart like you say, "Wait a minute, what what's this thing about Mr. Scott wanting food so much?" I don't remember that from the, you know, original show. I mean, they did that right. with Diamond Tag. Um, the movie I, I mean, little, the, Let me ask you a question about that because I'm I'm kind of curious in the film, the Star Trek film, the new one, they killed Spock's mother in the beginning of the film, right? Which was sort of contradictory to the series, and I'm curious to how they're going to fix that. Well, well I, I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they can fix it they, there. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I don't think it's a question of fixing. I think it's a question of of if you do a straight prequel, you limit yourself to what can happen to the characters. Because there's a timeline and, and it's established that that you know here's Spock's life and here's Kirk's life and and now if you if you kill a major character like they did with Spock's mother it just raises the stakes 
and and makes the future <laughs> yeah. movies more suspenseful. And so sure, they, I, I, I I mean that that's the whole thing. I mean it's it's just fascinating to to figure out what characters will, will they bring back in new form. I mean I think most sooner or later they're going to have to bring Khan back, and they're going to yes. have to figure out a way to do it which doesn't copy what they did earlier. Um, and, well, and I hope they be, do because that's my right. that's one of my fa- very favorite uh, characters, and yeah. the time is just going by so uh, rapidly. And I know that uh, Nikki is going to want to tell us about her favorite Star Trek episode, and maybe there are some um, comments in the in the chat that she'd like to report on. So uh, let's uh, ask uh, Nikki to beam up here or beam down here and uh, give us a chat report, Nikki. Well, I have. We have um, three suggestions in the chat room. First of all, my favorite episode is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. I know it was kind of cliche, but I loved it. And there's no neat, happy ending, and I just loved it. Yeah, nice portion. Yeah, I really did. And so we have two votes for that one, and then we have The Trouble with Tribbles. And I love that City too. On the, yep, and City on the Edge of Forever. I, I actually like all the episodes. There weren't any that I didn't like. I yeah, like the show with. Mhm. Well, what and about the Star Trek films? Uh, we didn't actually get talking about those yet, but it doesn't much matter to me. I don't care if they match the timeline. I don't care if they don't. I don't care if they go to a space-time continuum that changes everything. My whole love of Star Trek is the fantasy of being able to go somewhere where you've never been, meet new races. Time or travel as fast as they do. So, to me, I've watched it forever, and of course, I'm too young to have seen it, the original one. <laughs> you know, but right. I watched. Yeah, I did. I watched them over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> well, uh, that what you, you said about I, the fantasy and going where uh, no where you haven't gone before. I think that's really that's a that's a very very good analysis of uh, what is so much fun with uh, no, with the whole uh, Star Trek idea. And uh, even you know if it I, didn't turn out to be a Bob Hope going over and entertaining the USO <laughs> troops, <laughs> but the Star Trek films, I, I I I feel the same way about them. I think as you feel about the. Uh, uh, the Star Trek uh, television episodes, uh, Nikki, and and there have been what eleven Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. The one that Stephen mentioned, uh, Star Trek two thousand nine, um, was the eleventh one, and then the sequel to that, uh, again dec- uh, directed by J. J. Abrams, who does such a wonderful job, will be out I think in two thousand twelve, using pretty much the same cast. And it's hard to pick other than the Wrath of Khan. It's hard to pick a favorite out of that list because they all, each one of them has something special that uh, that is just uh, dazzling to see. But I, I have one that I liked very much um, in in thinking about it. This one, this one really stuck out to me. Besides the Wrath of Khan, and that's Generations, and that was where the torch was passed between uh, Kirk and uh, Picard. And I thought the whole idea of the Nexus. And uh, Brett Spiner as Data in that, when he got this chip uh, put into his brain and he was able to see why why things were funny and kept laughing about things that had been said to him, you know, years and years ago, I thought it was just everything in there was so clever and so so well done and, and uh, wonderful performances. That was performances. well written. Very well And well, yes, and it was well 
well written. And um, yeah. I, I want to see so many of these uh, over again. And I think that's the way people who are fans of the TV series feel about the episodes. Like like uh, Nikki says, she watches them over and <laughs> over and over again. So anything else, Nikki, from the chat? Nikki? Sorry. Nope, I think we're good. Good. And well, see, thank you. I don't have Do I need to beam you back down less? Yes, I just have one other thing to say. I love about the, the earlier Star Trek that they were they took on social issues, like, you know, like with the one that we liked with um, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, that was a pretty controversial issue at the time. Right. And they took, they took on those issues, I think, by making them, you know, in the future and then seeing how we still look at things at that time. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly... That's exactly the the whole point uh, with, that Roddenberry was thinking that that if you make think that if you take if you do that on a show like The Lieutenant, you're going to get flack from the from certain powers that be. But if you set things in the future um, and you call it the Federation rather than the Marines or, or whatever, you don't have to worry about that. So that that's the whole thing. It, it was I mean it wasn't really about the science fiction. It was about freedom to tell stories. Uh, um, w- without without getting at least as many restrictions as you would if you had set them in contemporary times. Yes, good point. I think that that's uh, absolutely true. And I was uh, checking on uh, the Internet Movie Database uh, about some uh, trivia about the the uh, <laughs> about the movie, the first Star Trek movie that was made back in uh, 1979 or 1980, and it was just called the motion. It was called Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and it was yep. directed by Robert Wise and Gene Roddenberry. Uh, once just joked and said that uh, he wanted he wanted um, Richard Burton to play Kirk and Robert Redford to play Spock. Oh my God. And, well, he was just joking you know, around, you, but it was reported in the media as serious. They're, well, when they're, you, that would well, have been terrible. A, probably, but when you make a joke like that, uh, although Richard Burton and Robert Redford wouldn't be cheap necessarily, but when you make a joke like that, it's sort of a, um, an implied threat to your actors not to ask for too much money. You can be replaced. That's so, right. uh, that's, that's a, you, you like know, a the, control mechanism if I ever heard one. Right. I There's know. always that. I, I mean, that that whole thing with the the Star Trek movie. It was originally going to be a TV show, and then Michael Eisner changed his mind, and they had the the Decker character with Stephen Collins. He he was brought on board to 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 you know basically threaten Shatner, saying if you ask for too much money, we're we're going to evolve this into a new captain. But um, you, you know, it was it, it proved to be difficult to do that. I mean, there was. There was talk of that later on too. Uh, um, yes. Uh, and and you know the the thing I, I love so much about the 2009 movie, my personal favorite scene is when Kirk finally takes the the command away from Spock, and he says, uh, "Either either we're going down or they are." And and that's to me the essence of the whole Kirk character. He goes, "I don't want to hear about anything but winning." Okay, we're going to win. And and you got to get on board, and it changes Spock. Uh, I mean, rather than 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 down, you know, put down Kirk's plans, he he comes on board and says, "Okay, I'm on board. This is how we're going to do it, and we have to we have to succeed." And, exactly, and, and, and uh, Stephen, 
before before uh, the show is over, I want to make sure that we with that we ask you this question: Why do you think uh, Star Trek achieved such worldwide success? I mean, it's been going on in one way or another since 1966. There's been all sorts of books written about it. There, Klingon, a, a whole language. <laughs> There's a dictionary, a Klingon dictionary. What do you think is the reason for for such success? Well, chemistry between the characters and, 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 you know, there's endless possibilities for stories. I, I mean, it just never ends. I, I, mean, I mean, here we are speculating about the next movie now, which can go in a million different directions. And, and so, I, I, I mean, any one of them could, could turn out to be a, a, a clunker, but any one of them could turn out to be great, too. So, so you have likable characters and, and an endless possibility for stories, and, and uh, you know, I personally think that's what it is. Well, that's uh, that's well said, and 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 uh, I have, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I hate to say this, but we're almost out of time. And thanks so much, Stephen, for being a terrific guest again today. Is there anything else you would like to add, perhaps? where our listeners could find out uh, more about you and uh, your Hollywood Stories book. Sure. The book is called Hollywood Stories, Short Entertaining Anecdotes About the Stars and Legends of the Movies, and it features over a 1,000 anecdotes about movies, movie stars, producers, directors, classic television shows, and, and it's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. The website's very easy, hollywoodstories.com, one word, hollywoodstories.com, and the book is called Hollywood Stories, Short Entertaining Anecdotes About the Stars and Legends of the Movies. It's nothing but fun. Well, I definitely encourage everyone to go to that side. And Morgan, we really appreciate your co-hosting talents today. Where should people go to find out more about your exciting book, The Streets Ran Red? Well, it's very easy to find. It's uh, it's on Kindle, it's on Amazon, and it's on my website, which is morganlawrence.com. Uh, and uh, by all means, uh, if, you come, if you come through my website and order it, it gets autographed before it comes out to you because that comes through my office. Great. Well, now we have two interesting books to check out, and uh, I hope everyone does do that. But it's time to wrap things up, so I want to thank all our chatters and other listeners. I hope everyone enjoyed today's show. I sure did. And um, live long and prosper, everyone. <laughs> This is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for all their support and for featuring today's episode as a uh, today's pick. We really appreciate that. Now, since Halloween is almost upon us, let's go out by doing the time warp again. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control.
to the left. Sensation. Like you're on 